So um, today what I want to do is uh, I want you to bring your life in here today, like uh, not like a polished up, like church version like you're supposed to, but bring your life here today. Bring um, the nine to five that you experienced this week. Uh, bring the, the tension uh, that you had in an argument with a significant other. Bring that in, in, in and I would say um, where normally in church we feel like we have to uh, stifle those things. Bring that in here this morning because I think uh, this passage that we'll look at and the way that we live our lives uh, will collide today in so many ways. And so that's my hope for you is that you would um, take, upon, uh, take upon your life uh, what Jesus is, is really saying in this passage. And uh, my prayer for you is rest this Christmas season. But before that, I got to tell you about a time that my wife and I raced to a monastery. Like a monastery where you're supposed to be still and quiet and peaceful we hurried there. And so uh, we took a little baby moon this summer. We decided to go to Scotland to eat food. Their food is horrible. Uh, to drink scotch, their scotch is wonderful. Um, and we just went to explore and to hike and to rest. And so we were on the western side of Scotland in this little coastal town called Oban. And my wife said, there's a monastery. We got to take a ferry to this island. And on the other side of the island is a monastery. It's called Iona. And I said, awesome. Let's go to the monastery. She says, there's a morning service, and we can make it there if we catch the first ferry. I said, okay, let's do it. And so we had rented a car. It was a, a bright red little Fiat 500. It was like a smart car, right? The thing like tops out at 65 miles an hour. And so we jump in the car, and we drive our car onto the ferry. Everything is going smooth. But then I jump on the boat. I jump on the, the boat's Wi-Fi. And I begin to look like what time the church service starts and I'm trying to figure out are we going to be able to make it there on time. And we had about 45 minutes when the boat, uh, the ferry docked. We had about 45 minutes to get to the other side of this island, which I finally found out was about 35 miles away. And so I'm like, I don't know if we can make it. And then I look on my Google Maps and it says, caution, one lane road. And I'm like, oh. I don't know if we're going to make it, but let's try. So I get into the car, in the ferry, and like driving stick shift. I'm feeling like uh, the guy from Baby Driver, you know? I'm like feeling like this guy, but I'm actually driving a little Fiat 500, so I look nothing like him. And so we just begin driving on this road. And we got, we're going 55, mile an hour, 55 miles an hour on this one-lane road, and there's cars coming the other way. And so every time you've got to slam on the brakes and pull to the side, and my wife is like actually praying in the car. She's like, Lord, please, nobody over that hill. Okay, please. And I'm like, we got this. We're going to make it there. I'm taking this smart car to stupid speeds, and we're just like getting after it. And so finally, we're on the other side of the island, and we come in, and we walk up this hill, and we sit down just in time for church at the monastery. And I was like, we made it. Just like all of you that just came in late. We made it, right? <laughs> They're actually in my community group, so I can say that, okay? And so this story, though, is sadly um, a great parallel, I think, to my own spiritual life. Hustling, hurrying, faster, go, go, go. And then what do I begin to do? I just interject a little bit of God into my life. And I don't think I'm alone in this. We're rushing and we're going. We're accomplishing the tasks of our career and our schoolwork. And we're shopping for presents for Christmas. And we're running around and we're on our devices. And I wonder if we would just pause this morning. And we might be mindful of the miracle that's unfolding right in front of us at Christmas. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that stillness is the antidote for an anxious world that can't sit still. We need stillness in our life, and this is what Jesus is offering us. Quiet, rest, 
a pausing, a slowing down is something that we desperately need. In a rush to celebrate this Christmas season, uh, the church has actually historically used the season to slow down, not speed up. That's why it's called Advent. It comes from the Latin Adventus, which means the coming or the arrival. And so Christmas is actually a celebration about the arrival of Jesus Christ, and therefore Advent is about stillness. It's us placing ourselves in a posture of longing and resting and waiting for Jesus and what's so cool about this waiting is it's, it's sort of a two-fold waiting. Jesus has already come, and so the Christmas story is, is actually us beginning to mirror the posture of the ancient Israelite people. The Israelite people waiting for their Messiah, we get, to, we get to do the same thing and celebrate that every year as Jesus has come. We mirror their posture. But we also, the posture that we get to take on is also a posture of longing. Because we long for the return or the coming of Jesus Christ, and so Advent is twofold in that regard. And so, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be waiting. We're supposed to be building up this anticipation, and it's an invitation to slow down and to develop a heart of longing. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into in Matthew chapter 11 when he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so Jesus' invitation is to a particular group of people. It's an invitation to the tired and the burned out and the overworked and the stressed out and the anxious. It's for those of us who are running around last minute grabbing presents and who felt uh, leading up to this weekend like we were overworked. Anyone like that in New York City, you think? Anyone like that right here in the room? Where we're working with this like sort of uh, low-grade anxiety in our lives at all times, where like you get to Saturday and you don't even know why, but you're running to the train even though you have nowhere to go, right? Oh my gosh. And I don't know why. I, I don't know why, but I, I think we live our lives in such a way where we think we're going to arrive. Like we're, we're going to arrive to this magical place where we have no emails and no to-do list. But what a, what a joke. Our, our lives, why do we think we're going to get to that place when, when maybe, maybe what's best for us this morning is that you would walk in into, into the room and, and we would just collectively confess together, I'm sort of just stumbling into the end of the year. Life at home hasn't been all that great. Life at work is confusing. Like I'm looking at other things always and so I'm just trying to figure out what this all looks like. And maybe we would just come in honest today. To, to say, you know what, the thing that Jesus says, come to me, those of you who are what, who are burdened and, and heavy laden, we could just say, you know what, there's a burden to this life, and, there, and there's no way around that. You can, you can leave the city, you can quit your job, but there's still going to be a burden. And G what Jesus is saying in this passage is, is that there's a way in this life to carry your burdens and to carry them well. Today, um, Today, I, I, maybe I have to confess, uh, today is, is not me standing up and um, preaching out of a deep strength of mine, but rather I come to you in a form of weakness where I can say, you know what, this is something that I'm really not that good at. I don't like to sit still. I, I, I'm on the go all the time. I'm always in a hurry. I will cut you in line, all right? I'm on the go. I like when everything on my calendar lines up, has a purpose, and I'm doing that thing at that time. And at the end of the day, I'm sustained by the caffeine that came along and not because I'm on the go. And I hope you can resonate with that. I'm not, like, like I said, I'm not here to preach out of a great strength, but out of weakness. 
John Ortberg is a, a pastor in San Francisco, and one, one time he was sitting uh, with a mentor of his, uh, a theologian named Dallas Willard, and uh, he was heading into a very busy season of his life, and, and John came to Dallas and said, Dallas, I need some advice. What do you think I need to do in this particularly busy season of my life? And Dallas looked across the table at him and said, John, here's what you need to know. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so the story goes that John like wrote it down, you know, probably got ready to tweet it, and then he was like, all right, so what's next? And he's like, no, 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 no. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so this morning, that's what I want to help us do. How do we eliminate hurry so we can be still and anticipate Jesus this Christmas? And so I want to look at two things this morning. The source of our unrest, where, where is our unrest coming from? Where does that derive from? And then we'll talk about how to find true rest. And so why is this so difficult in our time to sit still and to, to wait, especially in a season where we're, we're building up towards this day in two days? Well, the psalmist writes uh, in Psalm 46, and God begins to interject. In, in Psalm 46.10, it says this, Be still and know that I am God. And so we'll look at this first part, be still. And the word here in the Hebrew is rafa, rafa. And, and sometimes uh, the word rafa in the scriptures uh, means uh, to fail, or to stop, or, or to cease. And so it's, it's sort of like when you have that really long, busy day, and you miss the D train, and you have to wait, and your legs are tired, and you're, like, you're getting ready to come home, and you finally make it home, and you fall on the couch. You're just like, oh, Rafa, you, you, you've made it. And you have every good intention of getting up and like doing the dishes, taking the trash out, but what's easier is like, oh, seamless. Like, you know, you're getting your food ready to be delivered. And I think... Rafa is actually a part of, of what we're called to. But you and I uh, have been so culturally programmed that we don't understand what it looks like to be still. And in fact, in so, in so many ways, we don't have this posture where we're just like relaxed, not tense, but we're uptight. Even right now, maybe you didn't even notice it, but you're like, your shoulders are like up and you don't even know why. You can relax. You're, you're safe, right? And so this is the calling in the Advent season is to Rafa. And so let's look at two things externally and two things internally that begin to make this idea of stillness or rafa difficult. And th there's two external factors I want to talk about in particular. Uh, the first one is our consumer culture, and the second one is this idea of technology. And so this idea of consumer culture, part, part of the reasons that we're struggling to be still um, is because we've been racing up to Christmas, um, and Christmas has been hijacked by our consumer culture. And so this is an external factor of our busyness. It's, it's difficult to be still when we have been culturally programmed to buy, right? You and I are consumers, and we have messages coming at us constantly that say, buy this, you need this, this is going to give you satisfaction, this is going to make you beautiful. So part-time, uh, right now, part-time, I'm working as a barista at Blue Bottle Coffee in Rockefeller Center. And nothing will make you hate this aspect of Christmas more than Rockefeller, all right? It's like... It's like the very heart of consumerism. And like, I'm just trying to get to work, but everyone is in my way just staring at like Bergdorf Goodman, like, you know, just like looking in the window or the, the line down and around the corner at FAO Shorts. And, and so what's happened culturally is that we've been programmed to build up to the season in the wrong way. We've been building up to the season to shop 
and to see and to consume. And consumerism drives us to a form of unrest. And so marketing experts estimate that Americans are exposed to around 6,000 advertisements each day. But the crazy thing about that is, is, is it's even more personal than that. Because the truth is, is you're getting these messages directly on your phone, right? Now, the advertisements are actually built into your daily life. You open Instagram or Facebook or Google Maps, and what's going to happen? You're going to be sold a good as you scroll through there. My wife and I uh, share an Amazon account, and, and she's been buying some things to get ready for the baby. And I, I can't remember exactly where I was going, but I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere downtown, and I'm like looking at uh, my Google Maps, and all of a sudden it said, are you still interested in, and it was uh, equipment that you, there's some kids in the room, it's equipment that you use to feed children. And I was like, no, I don't want that. Like, that's not for me, I promise. You know, I come home, like, I tell my wife, I'm like, I promise that was not me. I was not looking at that. That was you, right? And so all of a sudden, these things, these goods are being sold to you, right built into your daily life. On your way here this morning, you received messages. You were being sold a good. And I think if we passively accept this, it actually does violence to us as people. We don't understand how deeply formative these ideas are to us, to our very being, and it's becoming increasingly normal. It's a form of uh, Western material affluence coming our way as we begin to shop and shop and shop. And what happens is our wants become muddled with our needs. And this season of waiting for Jesus has been commercialized. We're, we're left not waiting for Jesus in stillness, but we're out in the rat race buying. And I, I want you to hear me correctly. Christmas is awesome. What a wonderful time to give generously. I'm excited uh, to exchange gifts uh, in the next few days. And, and the, these are great. That, there's nothing wrong with that. And in, in fact, I think Jesus should inspire us the way God has given us his son. That should inspire us to be people who are generous givers. But I think that if we could just pause here, God says, be still, and I think that's exactly what God would speak into our consumerism, be still. The other thing I think it hits closer to home is this idea of technology. Now, imagine, imagine a day like today, 200 years ago. We would need to actually go outside. We would cut down some trees for wood. We would start up a fire to not freeze to death. It's not that cold today. But, but what do we do now? Like, our, our lives should be simpler, right? Like, we just walk over to the thermostat and, like, twist it, Right? Or if you're like, cool, you just pop open your phone and you're just like, all right, 72 degrees, perfect, right? Or uh, we, we think the technology has, has made our lives easier, but um, you guys remember cursive, like in the 90s, all right? You, you had to write in cursive, like penmanship, writing letters, right? Like we, we took a step from that into email, and email is like the worst thing that has ever happened to us. And so now what do we do? We just tell our operating system to text someone, and like somewhere halfway around the world has the, the message, right? And despite these advances, phones and computers and trains and cars, cars despite the, the dishwasher and the microwave and, and, and the, the laundry machine, all of these things that we look at and we say, you know what, these are convenient. These are going to save me time and energy. Does anyone in the room think they have more time? No. In the 1960s, there, there were some Harvard theorists, and, and I heard this on a podcast recently, and they were writing about the future, and uh, they predicted that the biggest problem in the future was going to be too much leisure time and not enough work because of technology. And so in 1967, uh, there was a, a Senate subcommittee that met, and they were discussing the, the future of the American workforce, and they predicted that by 1985, the average American would work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. How's that working for you? 
So there's so much, so much good that technology has brought our way. It, it advances in science and medicine, uh, more cultural awareness, connection with people that are far different from us. And yet, we can't look at technology and unequivocally say uh, that our lives are better because, these, because we have these things. And I think it furthers this idea that Jesus is saying, too. He says, come to me, those of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And for some of us, we, we actually have to say that uh, our weariness or the heavy burdens that we have are actually things that we've placed on ourselves. Like, like in the morning, like this, this is how I start my day. This is like a confession of how I start my day. And I think, I think this begins to show why I'm weary and have heavy burdens. My alarm goes off on my phone. I roll over. I grab it. And I check the three biggies, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, read the news, read some junk emails, delete those. And all of a sudden, what happened? I just lost 30 minutes of my day. And if I could just begin to describe the tension that's happening inside of me, it would simply be this. I'm struggling to be present. I'm not coming... Um, I'm now coming to realize that all of this information, all of these things that are asking for my attention are actually drawing me away from other things. And so I'm not rafah. I'm not still, but I'm actually hunched over living my life through a five-by-three screen. And there are tons of new studies being done about the smartphone and its effect on our lives. Um, one of the things recently that I've uh, been really appreciative of is uh, if you have an iPhone, the screen time the screen time uh, feature. So at 9 o'clock this morning, you, uh, you got a play-by-play of how much you've been on your phone uh, for the week, and it's super convicting. In fact, uh, some estimate uh, that we touch our phones 5,400 times a day. And research is coming out about how our uh, attention uh, span is growing shorter and how highly addictive our, our phones truly are. And so we have this ever-connected world, but actually we have growing depression and anxiety as well. There's a great article. You can go read the whole thing. It's titled, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? It's by a lady named Jean Twinge. And in the article, she talks about how teenagers are actually more safe than ever. They're, they're partying less. They're drinking less. Uh, teenage pregnancy is down. Uh, teenagers are simply not hanging out uh, as much, but they're more stressed out more anxious and more depressed than ever. And her conclusion on this study, she's been running this study on uh, screen time since 1975, says this, the results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy. And those who spend more time than average on non-screen activities are more likely to be happy. So there's many statistics that are coming out, but I think what we, should, what we should do in this regard is we should be people that are growing in our knowledge of how these things are affecting our lives, and then we should also confess that there's a lot about these things that we don't know as far as how they're rewiring our brains, how we go to them for uh, um, dopamine rushes and, and, and things like this. And so the verse continues in Psalm 46.10. God says, be still and know that I'm God. And so we, we need the stillness side of it, but the second part equally matters. We don't just need still, stillness. God is, God is actually not just saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. Sit still, do nothing, be quiet. But what he's actually communicating to us is that he, he wants our lives to actually be founded on who he is and knowing that he is God. But if you and I are too busy to stop and to pause and to slow down, then I think we're going to miss the deeper thing going on. And so we spoke about these external messages that, that are coming our way. What about some of the internal factors of our unrest? The internal factors of our unrest, like 
competency, and control. And these are just two. These are, these are two that, you know, I want to make sure we have time today to really unpack and give depth to some of these things. There's so many other things that work internally in our lives. But what about this idea of competency? We live in a time and a place where hard work is praised. Our, our society values position and achievement and success and convenience. And for many of us in the room, we, we, we want to be able to say, you know what, I, I made it. I, I made it to the place where I, I, I'm deemed successful. And I think, I think it's embarrassing in some ways. If you were to just peel back a few layers on our lives, how insecure we are about questions like, am I good enough? Do others see me working hard enough? Am I competent at this task at my job? Is my boss noticing this in me? And so we live in a culture super obsessed with accomplishments and expertise, and so it drives us to work, 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 and toil, and toil, so that we can say, I'm capable, I'm proficient, I got here by myself. So I've been uh, personally wrestling with this idea. Um, I've been a barista for about four months at, at Blue Bottle, and, um, and before that, I was a pastor for, for seven years, and I, I had a really settled job in Kansas City, and um, I felt proficient in what I was doing. Um, you know, I, I was a part of a community where I was known and cared about. And so coming from that job in that place um, can, can bring pride to a person, good and bad. And, um, and moving here, we knew we wanted to take the time to adjust and settle. And so I knew I wanted to get a job and work. What I didn't know is how difficult that would be. And so uh, just this last week, um, I, you know, I rung a guy up for coffee and I walk over to the espresso machine to make his drink. And he said, how long have you been a barista? And I was like, you know, I've been a barista for, um, for about four months, you know, but I just, I, I loved, co I love coffee. And so I've always been kind of into it. And he's like, that's great. And something in me froze where I was like, I need to tell this guy how important I used to be. I, I need, I, I need to pause and, and let this person know that I am not just a barista, but I, I have worth. And that uncovered a whole a bunch of layers in me, but I went ahead and said it. I was like, well, actually, um, I've been a pastor for the last seven years. He didn't want to talk about that at all. <laughs> he, didn't, he, was, he was out. He was like, oh, cool, man. Yeah, so about my coffee, you know. But something, um, something was wrong in me, and I didn't realize it until later. I needed to validate myself. I needed to say something about me so he thought something of me and it was wrong and it, and it showed some and it unearthed some uh, ugliness in me about how I view my job and so it was a really good moment I think for us this is the American mindset at work I got to be competent I got to I got to be seen and, and I, I know we have to go to work and do our job and I, I hope we go to our work uh, we go to work and we do our job really well but I think we have to check the pride that we have inside of it to be competent and then there's this idea of control. And issues of control um, really do dominate the mind, even though we, we don't think that they do. We ask questions like, is my future secure? How, how can I manage my life to its desired outcome? Like, okay, if I'm going to do this job for the next three years, how can, I, how can I do that so well that it pushes me into this next season in a good space? Or we ask questions like, am I safe? Do I have enough money? How can I control my image? How can I manage my future? With, with, with a kid on the way, um, I, I literally I've been reading, and basically every book says, you don't know what you're doing, you'll figure it out, you're fine. And, but even as I've been thinking about that, that's, that's good. Thank you. 
as I've been thinking about that, it's like, how, how am I going to pay for this? You know, I, and, and these ideas of control. What's her behavior going to be like? I begin to think about how I can manage something outside of me. And the, the reality is, is we're just not in control. And so into the outer noise of consumerism and technology and into the inner noise of um, competency and control, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. It's an invitation to come to Jesus and um, to fall in that Rafah position and say, I'm resting in you. There's a story in the Bible in the book of 1 Kings, and there's a man, his name is Elijah, and Elijah goes and he's sleeping in this cave, and the, 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 it says the word of the Lord came to him to stand before God on the mountaintop. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, Elijah, imagine Elijah on the mountain. And behold, the Lord passes by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And God was in the gentle whisper. God was in the quiet and in the stillness. And this question has been haunting me. If God is in the gentle whisper, how will I meet him if I am in perpetual motion? If God is in the gentle whisper, how will I meet him if I am in constant motion? And so this morning we saw the sources of our unrest. And maybe, uh, maybe even this morning you're like, I don't do that. I don't do that. You do. There is unrest. There is burden inside of you. And so how do you find true rest? Like where does true rest come from? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is actually offering up a, a sort of ironic idea here, a yoke. And I'm not like big into like agrarian terms, but uh, a yoke is a work instrument. It, it would be harnessed uh, to a, a farm animal, an ox or a horse, and the animal would carry the load, right? The, the, the animal would carry the burden in the field. And so Jesus is actually coming along and he's offering up something that tired workers need least, right? He says, take my yoke upon you. And I'm over here like, Jesus, I, I, I don't want that. I need a mattress and a vacation, all right? Not a yoke. But Jesus is actually giving us an invitation in teaching us how to rest. And not just like jumping on the couch and like binge watching Netflix kind of rest, but a deeper rest. And he knows that the most restful gift to the tired that he can give is actually a new way of life completely. And so Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. It's a, it's a, it's a simple invitation, come, come to me. And I'll give you rest. And that rest where Jesus is uh, referencing a rhythm of life that was instituted all the way back in, in Genesis, it was the idea of Sabbath. There were going to be six days of hard work that were to be done, and then one day of rest, doing the work that God has given you to do, and then resting from that work. And if you read the Gospels, you find Jesus living this type of lifestyle. He was busy but he still was never in a hurry. Like, have you ever read, read the Gospels and, and read about stressed out Jesus? You, you don't find that, right? You, you do read about Jesus interacting with people. 
and then escaping to be with the Father. He's fully present, and then he's like, all right, like that, that's done. I'm going to escape and be with the Father. You know, you find in the Gospels a lot, which I find almost ironic, you, you, you hear about Jesus sleeping all the time. Like the disciples have to go to him and be like, hey, Jesus, like you need to wake up. There's a storm rising, and Jesus is sleeping. Like, Jesus, come on. You don't. Or other times, like he's getting up four in the morning to pray, and then later on in that chapter, you're like, but he's also napping in the afternoon. Come on, right? So Jesus has come to me. He's referencing this Sabbath day, but he's also talking about this state of being. And, and so maybe the question should, should then be, how do we access what Jesus is offering? How do we access what Jesus is offering? How do we plug in to what Jesus is saying? And I think the answer is we unplug. So Anne Lamott says, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you, right? Jesus says, take, take my yoke upon you, pl plug into me, unplug from everything else and plug into me. And so let me just ask you a few practical questions. I, I, don't, I don't like to do this a lot in, in, in sermons, but, but let, me, let me ask you a practical. Like, as, you, as you've like led up to today, are you practicing a healthy rhythm of work and rest? Like, are, are you leaving space in your life? Like, and I have to, I, I, you know what I have to do? I schedule it on my calendar now. I, it says do nothing on my calendar on certain evenings of the week. That's what we have to do sometimes. Are you leaving space in your life for people and not just tasks? And let me ask you, this is a hard one. Do you ever unplug, like, your devices? Do you ever turn your phone off? Do you ever, like, at home, unplug your Wi-Fi, all right? I know that might give you anxiety, but, like... <laughs> You're like, why would I unplug my Wi-Fi, dude? Like, maybe that's what your house needs. Unplug. And so how do we plug into what Jesus is saying in a practical sense this Christmas season, in a very, 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 very practical sense, in order to plug into what Jesus is saying, some of us in the room need to unplug. And that's very, very practical for some of us. And, and let me just say this. I, I think the practical stuff is important. But, but, but our culture's version of rest isn't sufficient. Binge-watching Netflix to escape or, or watching SportsCenter on repeat hour after hour after hour is not going to give you the rest that you're looking for. A nap is good for you, but you need rest for your soul. And so Jesus is inviting us actually into a whole new way of life. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, Take my yoke. I think there's an assumption in that, that, that there is a yoke that you're carrying. There is a burden that you're already carrying. And Jesus is saying, you can take up those false yokes that are weighing you down, that are, that are giving you all of this, like, uh, back problems, you know, so you can't even, like, you can't even rafah. He says, he says, you can take all of those things, or you can take my yoke. And so you can take the, the yoke of your career that's promising you significance and prestige, you, you could take that upon you, and, and I know that work is important, but I think the, the, the tension inside of this is, is I think for some of us, we've taken on that as our, as our sole identity, and Jesus is like, that's not going to give you the promise and the prestige that you're looking for, and some of us uh, come to the end of our career, we're you know, a year into our career, and we're finding, you know what, that's not, it's just not holding weight like I thought it was. Or, or we walk into a relationship. I think a lot of times in our, in our modern relationships, we walk into a relationship and we say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be committed to this as long as you are who I think you should be. 
And so we put so much weight on a, another person and, and, and we put that weight on them and to say, you know what, I want you to give me feelings of purpose and significance. And Jesus is saying, you know what, that's the wrong yoke. I've already given you the lightest yoke. Join me. And I know for some of us in the room, we're skeptical. We're skeptical because, you know, we're modern people. Like, I want to be, be independent. I want to be independent from any ideology. You know, like, I want to be totally open and, and accepting. But Jesus is saying, you're going to carry a yoke. Do you want to carry a really heavy one by yourself and go at it alone? Or do you want to take mine and I'll go with you? A yoke is a tool of burden, right? But it's a tool of burden, not for sitting. It's not a sitting instrument. It's a walking instrument. You wear the yoke, you mount it, and oftentimes a, a yoke would be mounted to an animal and then it would be put and attached to another animal so that animal could carry the load together. And I think this is what Jesus is saying ultimately here. He says, come take my yoke upon you, tuck in next to me, match your pace to mine, get to know me. Fo following Jesus is a process. We don't just figure it out one day, but we learn on the go as we're following him. And I think what Jesus is saying, don't lag behind, I'll do the heavy lifting, tuck up in to me. Take my yoke. And he's not offering a burden-free life. That's not what I'm saying this morning. He's not offering a life that's easy, but he's offering up what every false yoke promises. Those things can give you security for a while, but ultimately they will fall short. And Jesus is the only one that you can look to, and if you fail him, he will forgive you. That's a light yoke, I promise. And so tuck into him, and he will embrace you fully. And that's what this season of Advent invites us into. It's a posture of resting and receiving. And you can choose the yoke to which you take. And my hope for you this Christmas is that you take Jesus' easy yoke and light burden. Let's pray. So, Father, I love you. And wow, you're so kind to us. You say, take. What a generous God you are. And the truth is, is for us in the room, we want to experience a burden-free life. But if we can't take the burden-free life, we'll take the life with you and you carrying the burdens with us and for us. God, we look to you right now, and in a second as we sing, we sing to you. And there's so many messages that are coming our way about who we are or who we should be. And I just pray that we would be able to pause in stillness, and we might look to you and we might find a deep rest inside of us, whatever anxiety we're going through, that we might find a deep rest in our souls, that we can find this ultimate meaning and purpose in your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we love you and we thank you for today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.